Revelation chapter 2 this morning. As you're turning there, just a, a couple of quick uh, reminders for you. Um, this week is, is uh, we do have our Easter services this week. Friday night, we're doing a, a communion service here. Uh, no registration needed for that. That's at 7 p.m. We'd love to have you join us Friday night at 7. Sunday. Sunday is um, Sunday's looking busy. Um, we've encouraged you and we'll continue to encourage you to uh, register for Easter services. At this point, this service, the 9.30 service on Sunday morning for Easter is at capacity. Um, and so we do have room available at our 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. services, but I will tell you that, I'm not going to tell you which one, but one of them is probably going to fill out sooner than the other. So if you've not registered, let me encourage you to register. Let me encourage you as you come uh, here next Sunday morning, be paying attention to parking signs and parking people, try not to run anybody over in their fancy Easter bonnets. You don't get bonus points at all in that game. Um, it's just going to be a madhouse here next week, and I praise God for that because every person who steps in this place, not just next Sunday, but even this morning, every person who comes here has a story. And our prayer, our goal isn't to fill the building out. It's cool when that happens. I'm not going to lie. It's fun. I talk to myself all the time. It ain't all that's cracked up to be. Having a bunch of people here is fun. But you know what's even funner? Is watching that person's eyes explode when they recognize the fact that there is a God who loves them more than they've ever been loved before. And he demonstrated that love for them in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ kicked the stone out of the way and came out of the tomb... That was just the beginning of our celebration that will last forever. And so we look forward to the opportunity to share that with people. As Mike said, this is Palm Sunday. This is not a typical Palm Sunday message by any stretch or imagination. Other than this, I think on Palm Sunday, we got to see a little picture of what it is that we're going to be looking at this morning. And it's this, a group of people who had gathered with great enthusiasm for Jesus Christ and who he was and everything he was going to do. But it didn't last very long. We've been studying the book of Ephesians together over the last weeks and months. We started back in November. We finished the book of Ephesians, and, and it was kind of on a high, to say the least. Ephesians is an easy book to study because as you look in Scripture, we know more about the church at Ephesus than we know any other church. Okay? The church at Ephesus was, we see it being birthed in Acts chapter 18 and 19. We, we then get the book that we got to just study, the book of Ephesians, where there's incredible encouragement to the local body of believers. You, you can then read First and Second Timothy and, and hear a message that Paul is delivering to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, Timothy. And, and actually, you can read First, Second, Third John, and, and that is written by John, who is an elder at the church of Ephesus. And then... You get the passage we looked at this morning, Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus addresses the church at Ephesus about 40 or 50 years after it had been birthed. Now, there is some imagery in here. Talk about it just a little bit. It talks at the beginning here, chapter 2, verse 1, right to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Some of your Bibles may say the messenger. Uh, that could mean pastor. It could mean a number of different people, but it's the one who would communicate this message to the church at Ephesus. It says that Jesus is holding... Um, the seven stars in his right hand. In chapter 1 of Revelation, we see that those seven stars, each one is a church that is going to be mentioned in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. It says he holds them. He's got a firm 
grip on them. It says he holds them in his right hand. That is the, the picture of authority. Jesus is the authority of those churches. He is the head of the body of Christ. It says that Jesus walks among the seven golden lampstands. That means that Jesus is present with each of those churches. And then he begins his evaluation of the church at Ephesus with these two words, I know. Parents, I don't know if you've ever done this. I have. Had a small child in front of you. You know they disobeyed. They won't confess. You say, listen, I know what you did. Have you ever done that, parents? Okay. I won't share specifics, but I will say this. I did that once with a little guy, and I said, I know what you did. And he came clean for something completely different. I was like, yeah, you, what? <laughs> Here Jesus says, I know nothing escapes his attention. And he's going to share with the Ephesian church what he knows about them. And, and it's, very, it's very encouraging at the onset. He walks through and says, this, this church isn't a spare time, spare change, convenient commitment type church. They are serious about, here is verse 2, I know your works, your labor. This is the people who are serious about toiling, about working, about laboring. They're, they're all in. They're sacrificing. This isn't a lazy church. I know your, continues, your endurance, living through real persecution, not just cultural intolerance, but real persecution. He continues, I know that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. These people of the Ephesian church were unflinching when it came to truth. They, they could not tolerate evil. That means they would call evil out in people, even if it was their own people. See, too often today, we are intolerant of evil unless it's our own friends, our own family, and then we just kind of give grace for that. The Ephesian church called it what it was. It says they tested the false prophets and they identified them clearly. When, when Paul is leaving the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, he gathers the elders of the church together and he, and he gives them kind of a, a bon voyage message and he shares a little challenge with them as he goes. But one of the things he says is that in this time of transition, there are going to be men who rise up even from among you. They're not going to be people who travel in, but they're going to be among you. Read into that. Might even be elders of the Ephesian church. They're going to rise up from among you and they're going to distort the truth in order to gain a following of people. They're false apostles, they're false prophets, they're wolves. Sometimes they wear sheep's clothing, sometimes they're just straight up wolves. And wouldn't you know it? That's exactly what happened. And the, the church at Ephesus was ready because Paul had prepared them. They were keeping their eyes open for this, but not only that, they understood truth. They knew doctrine. They may not have known all the fancy words that goes with doctrine, but they had been well-trained by the Apostle Paul. They had been anchored in Scripture, and so that no matter what the influence of the false teacher might be, or the church did what it was supposed to do, regardless of who it was. They took holiness seriously. He, he says later on down here in, um, that's right there, verse 6, yet you also have this, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. 
We, we don't know what the practices of the Nicolaitans were. We're not going to spend a lot of time blowing through that this morning and coming up with options. Uh, but I'm going to give you an option. <laughs> a few verses later, it talks about um, basically a hedonistic lifestyle, and it names the Nicolaitans again. So the picture of this, the practices of the Nicolaitans are believed probably to be linked with some type of lifestyle of, of, of immorality that was excused by the grace that they had been given to God. What that means is, I can do whatever I want because God has to forgive me. Okay? The basic idea is that that is just wrong. Um, and there was plenty of opportunity for immorality in Ephesus. If you remember, and you may not, so let me remind you, in Ephesus was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. It was the, the temple to Artemis. It was this huge place, beautiful place, but what happened inside of it was anything but beautiful. There were hundreds upon hundreds of male and female prostitutes who, who, who would engage in their practice, in their profession, in an effort to worship Artemis. There were sexual rituals that were happening everywhere, and it's funny, we, we tend to think like, 2022, we're just, this world is just falling apart. Can it get any worse? Hey, guess what? It's been bad since Genesis 3. The church looked at the practices of the Nicolaitans and said, nope. No, that, that, we hate that because we know what that kind of lifestyle does to people. And Jesus here commends them for it. So, you're looking for a church, trying to find a place that, that you want to bring your family and anchor in and and be a part of, a place that's going to stand for truth and be hard workers and endure difficulty and stand up against false prophets and, and reject some of the, the, the cultural shenanigans that are happening in the day. And so you look and you find this church at Ephesus and you're like, I have found the place, right? However, Jesus continues. He says in verse 4, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Don't lose sight of the fact that this is Jesus talking. He's talking to a group of people who, who claim to be his children. He says, you're doing a lot of awesome things. I'm really proud of you. Way to go. Go get them. You just keep going. That's right. But I'm going to tell you something. All that good stuff, you have forgotten the main thing. Somewhere along the way, they'd gotten good at these other things and lost love. So why is that important? Well, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Out of everything he could have possibly said, he said this. Teacher, this is the question, which command in the law is the most important. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Love God most. Love others best. Ever heard that before? Jesus makes it abundantly clear. Love is the greatest commandment. A love for God, a love for others. And if the church loses love, it's lost the point. Ephesus had love at some point. Look at these verses from Ephesians. 
Peace be to the brothers. This is the end of the book. And sisters, love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there is this love for Jesus that is insurmountable, a love for Jesus that is undying, and Paul sees that in the church at Ephesus, so they most certainly had that love for Jesus. But then at the beginning of the book, you hear from Paul as he's com- commending this church at Ephesus. This is what, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints, and I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. He says, I, I know you loved others too. You love others too, and so I celebrate that about you. But somewhere along the way, they lost it. Don't get me wrong, okay? Uh, this is the worst thing you could take from this morning. So Frank said, truth and holiness and hard work and endurance aren't that important. That is not what I am saying. They're incredibly important. And without those things, a church will fall. But without love, the Ephesian church fell the other way. Without love, all of those things just become pointless noise. Isn't that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13? I can speak with the tongue of angels. What is that anyway? I, I can tell you what it's not. It's not German. German's like the opposite of the tongues of angels. If you speak, no, no offense, it's just the ugliest language in the world. I don't know what it is. It's just beautiful. And he says, I could, I could have the power to do that. But if I don't have love, this is just absolutely Pointless, and that's where the Ephesians were. Without love, they're no longer being the church. They're just playing church. And Jesus threatens them. And I know that's a harsh word, but I think it's an accurate word. Jesus threatens them, and he's very abundantly clear. Remember then how far you have fallen, verse 5. Repent, do the works you did at first. Otherwise, or else, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Jesus says, if this doesn't change, I'm out. And you're on your own. I'm getting rid of it now. Now, the church might still exist, but the presence of Jesus isn't there. And if the presence of Jesus isn't there, it's the body of Christ. It's no longer a church. It's just a... Lame club. So please understand, what Jesus just said is it's possible to have a church that is about doctrinal purity, that endures all kinds of hardship, fights cultural decay with enthusiasm, but lacks the power and presence of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to try to press in a little bit here because this is what God has been doing in my heart. And I'll share a little bit specifically about that. What are we known for? Okay, we. Who, who am I saying we? Who's we? We. Uniontown Bible Church. Or, or better, me. Or the elders. Or the staff. The pastors. I don't know, you. A Uniontown member. A, a Uniontown regular attender. Whatever that is. Um, a church hopper. Somebody who, who just happened to show up here. Somebody who's a church transplant and is here. It's all of us, okay? So when I say we, I mean all of us. So let me ask you this question. What are we known for? Let me apply that to our local assembly here as a church. What are we known for? If we're not 
careful, we can settle for a lot of good things and forget the best thing. Come on, I mean, we are ridiculously blessed in a lot of ways here at Uniontown Bible Church. Come on, our music is ridiculous. I mean, every week we have gifted people serve us, and they're holding back, right? I mean, our children's ministry has things happen in it that doesn't happen in most churches. Most churches, you know what children's ministry is? Babysitting. Our children's ministry is intentional about sharing the beautiful truth that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. In, in each of our children, we should celebrate that. We, we are blessed in that. Our, our teens have the goofiest youth pastor ever. Amen. <laughs> oh, he got applause. I should never have done that. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> yep. And, 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 but he doesn't show up here on Wednesday nights like, okay, let's find other stupid games to play. I mean, he does that. That's, that's most of his week, actually, to be honest with you. But just kidding. He shows up here with a heartbeat to share the gospel and good news with your teenagers. Our summer camp offerings are widespread. They're growing. The number of volunteers it takes to run any and all of this is stupid. And I'm really glad we have it all. But if that's why you're here, and I'm speaking to all of you, member, regular attender, church transplant, new, first time, you're like, what has happened? No, it's all good. But if that's why you're here, if that's who we are, all those things, if that's who we're even on the trail of becoming, here's my counsel to you. Run! Because Jesus ain't going to be here long. you're here to consume, if you're here to be, oh, this one frosts me, and be entertained. Let me, let me comment on that a little bit just because I don't give a lot of, just because it does, that one bugs me. It's all entertainment. No, okay, listen, we have fun. And my theology tells me we should have fun because there's no other people in the world that should be as happy as we are. There's no other people in the world who should be able to laugh at themselves like we do because we understand the cosmic joke. We're not awesome. He is and he loves us, right? So it's fun, but if we base everything on our Rotten tomato score for today, we're in trouble. Those of you that don't know, that's a score that keeps track of how entertaining a movie is. Okay, there you go. We've lost. And if we're not careful, what we'll end up doing is just adding to the list of things and miss what's most important. And what we'll end up doing is playing church just like the Ephesian church. So, have you lost your first love? Have you left your first love? No, man, I'm, I'm moral. I'm here. I'm, I stand for what's right. I'm courageous. I give. I serve. That's not what I asked. Have you left your first love? Imagine your wife of 30 years sitting down with you saying, listen, I just need to communicate this to you. I don't love you anymore. But I am committed to the institution of marriage. And so I will continue to wear my ring. I will continue to live in the home. I will continue to parent with you. I will continue to do all of these things with you. I just don't love you anymore. But I'm not going anywhere. Ring's kind of empty, doesn't it? 
I'm committed to the institution of marriage, but I'm not in love with you. Folks, that's what happens in the church that has lost its first love. They're playing church. Has your love grown cold? Um, so I'll be honest with you. Uh, last Tuesday, not Tuesday, but the previous Tuesday, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to bore you with the details, but last Tuesday, um, I spent a few minutes just kind of penning together the outline, the rough, how I want to do this and, and present this passage, my understanding of the passage, all that. And at that point, I'm like, yeah, Frank, give it to him. Yep. Have you lost your first love? And then two things happened this week where, and it happens all the time, where God's like, uh, how about you first, bud? Uh, and I won't get into specifics about it, but, but last Sunday, service is done, hanging out with family, and we're talking about service stuff. And, and I was pressed that my evaluation of Sunday had more to do with logistics than it had to do with what matters most, the love of people. And then this week, just this weekend, uh, on my way to do a task with my wife, somebody was obviously in need, and she pointed it out, and I explained it away why we didn't have to help. I can hear Jesus, I can, I can see it, him looking at me and grabbing the symbol, grabbing the other symbol, like, and if I have not love, it's like clashing symbols. Because that's me. Because that's me. So what do you do to keep that from happening? Jesus tells them. Verse 5. Remember how far you have fallen. Repent. And do the works you did at first. Uh, Alliteration is something some preachers do. It disgusts me, but I'm going to do it. Remember. Repent. Repeat. Remember, keep on remembering. Don't forget what God has done for you. Repent. To allow your love to grow cold is to sin. Change your mind. Change your behavior. Change your attitude. Make a U-turn and acknowledge that your way is wrong and run back to God. And repeat the things that you did at first. Love is more than just an emotion. It's not this, I feel this warm fuzzy. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about what you do. Go back to the first days. And in their case, think about it. You go through the story of Acts 18, 19, 20, and you get to see what's happening in this early church. The good news is being preached by Paul. He starts in the synagogue, and he begins explaining to the Jewish people, listen, all the stories of the Old Testament are fulfilled in this one name, Jesus. He is the one who came to to be the, the Lamb that, that would be sacrificed one time forever so your priests don't have to stand at the altar over and over and over again trying to gain acceptance in God's eyes. No, this one came to be sacrificed for you. And after three months, people started getting a little testy and chased him out of the synagogue. So then he stands in the, the public circle and he begins teaching Gentiles for two years. Enough where in Acts 19 it says that all of the residents of Asia had heard the word of God, because of what Paul was doing. So the good news is being preached. God is at work enough so where whatever Paul is doing, ministering to people, he's seeing people transformed, people's lives changed, people being healed, and people started seeing that, and they started stealing his handkerchiefs so they could go like, hey, this guy's sick. Blam, he's better. 
I mean, it's this crazy momentum that's happening. It's so much so, this is my favorite story in the entire Bible, so much so, there were seven dudes. They're referred to as the seven sons of Sceva. Change your name. Seven sons of Sceva are watching out like, look at this. This is pretty cool. Paul is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. So they go and find a demon-possessed guy. Lesson one, don't look for demon-possessed people. They'll find you. Don't worry. So the seven sons of Sceva find this guy. And they're like, okay, listen, this is what we want to do, okay? Uh, um, I command you, but by the name of Jesus, that Paul preaches. And the demon looks at the seven guys and says, all right, I, I, um, I know Jesus. I recognize Paul. Who are you morons? And the demon-possessed dude then jumps on the seven guys, overpowers them, and beats the pants off them, literally. It says then they leave the house, they are naked and wounded. I don't care how many left hooks you land. I don't care if you can make an argument that maybe I was in it for a little while. When you start a fight with pants and a fight without pants, you lose. <laughs> so they're, they're gone. And now the word begins to spread around about, look what God is doing. And then Jesus' name is then lifted up. It's, it's not just this reputation, it's this everything everybody was doing who was in Jesus was making Jesus first and foremost. It was out of this pure dedication and love for Christ and what he has done for them. Not just at a worship service, folks. Glad you're here. You better do more than just here. They were lifting up the name of Jesus. There was not an area of life that wasn't being impacted. People were repenting. They were confessing to each other their sins. They were ridding themselves of the things that tripped them up. They were, it talks about how they burned their books of magic. <laughs> like the old 1990s. Any of you participate in a cassette burning, CD burning? You're like, take a cassette. It's like, I won't listen to this music ever again. You throw it in a fire, and it begins hissing and popping. You're like, I can hear the demons leaving. It's like, no, actually, it's the pathogens you're releasing into the atmosphere. Thanks for playing. They were holding nothing back. The movement of the word of God was being, it was, it was going everywhere, which led to a massive disturbance in the economy. Think about that for a second. God was being preached. The good news of Jesus Christ and his salvation was being spread so far and so wide. And the Holy Spirit was moving among the people in such a way that so many people were repenting. So many people were, were flocking to Jesus that the economy was turned upside down. The, the, the ones who built idols recognized the fact that they were losing business because so many people were coming to know Jesus Christ. Think about that for a second. Imagine for a moment if all of those horrific businesses that, that, that are actually built upon the immorality of culture were to crumble and fall because so many people came to know Jesus Christ. Imagine that for a minute. That's what's happening here. And because of that, the entire city riots against Paul and against believers for two hours, they just start chanting and yelling and screaming. And actually, I love in the, the, the perspective that Luke brings us in Acts, where he's like, so much so that people are showing up like, yeah, uh, what are we yelling about? Which happens. They were that enraged. And what ends up happening is, through that, the church grows. 
and becomes a place that believes well and loves well. Believes well and loves well. I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for all the saints. That's what Ephesus was. That's what Ephesus Bible Church was founded on. But they lost it. They were warned clearly by Jesus, if this doesn't change, if you do not remember, repent, and repeat, I'm going to come and I'm going to remove your candlestick. And and obviously, evidently, they did not remember, repent, and repeat. You know how we know that? The church at Ephesus no longer exists today. In fact, the city that Ephesus is located in is what's now the modern-day Turkey, a predominantly Muslim country. There, there is no Christian church in Ephesus. Of course, there's not really Ephesus either, but that's beside the point. The point is that the church at Ephesus used to be the strongest church in Asia Minor. And now there are hardly any, other, any Christians to be found at all there. Turkey is now one of the largest unreached nations in the world. 99.8% of Turkey is Muslim. Most of the nation of Turkey has never even heard the gospel. If you do not remember, repent and repeat. I'll remove your candlestick. They lost their light. They lost their way. And they lost the opportunity to see men and women, boys and girls, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and learn to love him with their entire soul, might, strength, mind. Have you lost your first love? Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the the powerful lesson of the church at Ephesus. I thank you that we can be reminded and, and challenged by how you worked among them. And Lord, I, I pray that they would be a, a warning to us, that they would be a, something that encourages us to, to good works. Repentance. God, I, I pray, I beg that you would open our eyes and cause us to see where we might have made it about something it's not supposed to be about. Lord, would you rescue us before it's too late? May we remember where we were when you rescued us, when you saved us, when you redeemed us and ransomed us from our sin. God, we want, we want to please you. We want to make you happy. And so I pray that that would captivate our hearts in this moment and the moments that follow this week. God, may we live for you and you alone. May we love you and you alone. Let everything happen that happens. May we be reminded of your goodness to us because you are good. 
thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the love that he had for us before we could even think to love you. In his matchless name I pray.